It's a pretty amazing story, John and Nancy. They were here at the, our earlier service, um, and uh, there's a whole lot more to that story. I remember hearing them, and one of the things that John was telling me was, you know, he had a radical conversion during this time, where he was on his way to work, and a song came on the radio, he pulled his car over, gave his life to Christ, and total transformation, total transformation. And it was a long time that they were separated. Uh, they didn't, I don't know if they alluded to it on here, but there was a long, long time that they were, they were separated, that God brought them back together. And what's amazing was that uh, John waited for Nancy during that time. And Nancy, I remember telling me, he said, you know what, if John's waited for me, then when he was in the hospital, and he was in the hospital for two months, uh, he was in a coma for 12 days in the hospital for two months, uh, near death, Nancy said, you know what, if, if he waited for me, I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to wait for him. And it was amazing that, that God restored that marriage. And I was able to perform that ceremony. It was the first time I've ever was able to re-pronounce somebody by their names. I re-pronounce you John and Nancy Leach. It was powerful. It was powerful. Why do we show that story? Because we want to tell you that transformation in marriages is possible. Because some people look at the scripture we're about to look at and go, you know what, my marriage is too far gone already. Forget it. Transformation is possible in your marriage. God can restore your marriage. So with that, let me pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for John and Nancy. I thank you for what you've brought them through. Father, thank you for the fact that you can restore any marriage. Thank you for setting up marriages perfectly. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we look at this passage, this tough passage. Father, I pray that you speak through us. I pray that my words are your words, my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. Father, that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear this morning. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in our series, We Are Family. We're kind of winding this series down. We only have a few more weeks, and we finally get to the part of marriages. And I know some people go, finally, you're talking about family, you get to marriages. Now, I know some people in here right away go, listen, um, I'm not married, I'm single. And I want to encourage you, make sure you're listening to this, because this will apply. Some point down the road, you get married, this is helpful. This is going to be important for you to understand. For those of you who maybe have already married, may, may be married a long time, I want to encourage you to make sure you come along some of the younger people in our church because they have a hard time understanding uh, what marriage actually looks like. So I want to encourage you to make sure you, 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 uh, you impress upon them this. You know, there's, there's not many passages on marriage. I wish there was a whole book just on marriage. God didn't do it that way. He did it right here in this one little chunk You know, and for the past few weeks, you know that we've been talking about our own hearts, our own attitudes, that if we want to have good marriages, we need to have a certain heart. If you want to have peace in your own life, you you want to have peace in your marriage, you have to have peace in your own life. And that's what John and Nancy were talking about. Listen, if God wasn't at the center of it, this marriage would have never have worked. We would have said, hey, let's get back together. But if God wasn't at the center of it, forget it. And so you've got to have peace in your own life before you can have peace uh, anywhere else in your your marriage. Now, when you get to this passage, I know Robbie kind of alluded to it. He goes, And I know some of you, when you read this passage, you went, oh, that passage. The submit passage. Yeah. I remember uh, when Deb and I got married, we got married right here back in the year 2000. It was a, a wonderful time. We were, uh, uh, we were young at the time, got married right here in this room. Uh, we were the first people to actually have a reception downstairs in the, in the church. And 
it was a wonderful time. We were, you know, I was 20, and uh, it was, this is an exciting time. I remember coming down the aisle, my grandfather was a pastor, so he was doing the ceremony, and you know how you are when you get married, everything's exciting, and I walked down kind of all giddy, you know, kind of smiling, and, and then my grandfather gets up, and as, you know, as every uh, minister does for the wedding, gives a little homily, a little sermon, and he, he whips out this passage, and I'm sitting there smiling and giddy, and I look over at my wife, Deb, and I can just see her face kind of, kind of lesson. It wasn't as exciting as it was when she said, when he got to the part about submit. And I really thought when he said, Deb, do you take Jared? She was going to say, pass. (laughs) Why? Because there's a lot of misinterpretations about this passage. Submit. And that's the, people get focused on that. Wives, submit your husbands as as you do the Lord. And then, you know what? there's, There's other verses in there, but people go, I'm done after that point. I just lost interest. There's a lot of misinterpretations. What happens is a lot of wives feel in, inferior. And maybe you're thinking that right now. You think, I'm inferior. That means I'm a lesser than my husband. That I have to submit to his rule, his authority. And I can't express my own opinions, my own authorities. I just have to do what my husband wants to do. Another misinterpretation for husbands is they feel like they're the head. Yes, I am the head of the wife. I am the head of the household. Whatever I say goes. I've been in many counseling sessions where uh, a man is yelling at his wife and he, then he turns to me, and I remember this really clearly, it was a few years ago, turns to me and goes, Jared, tell her to submit to me. And I say, that's not exactly how this works. <laughs> it's misinterpreted. It's been changed. And what, what the issue is here, you have to understand, when you look at the world around you, you go, I don't understand, marriages are falling apart all over the place interesting is, is that it's not that we don't want to understand this passage is because of sin and the fall it's almost like we can't comprehend it because of what happened in the garden of Eden you got to go way 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 back to the beginning you have to understand what happened in the garden affects us now people say well we live in different times Jared we live in a harder time to have a good marriage no we don't people a hundred thousand years ago are still hundred or thousand years ago, are still dealing with what we're dealing with today in marriages. Because of what happened in the garden, sin entered in, and we're still going back to it. So we have to go back to what God designed it to be in the first place. And that's why we look at Ephesians 5. You look at the Garden of Eden, you think of Adam and Eve, and it was, it was perfect. And God brought Eve to Adam, and what does Adam say? He, he saw something perfect. He said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There was nothing critical about Adam. There was no critical spirit. They were both naked, but they weren't ashamed. Why? Because there was no critical spirit yet. There was nothing to look bad at. There was, no, there was no blame. There was nothing to look to criticize Eve. There was no evil or perverse thought. And he was given headship over the woman and over creation. But his relationship was so pure. His headship, headship over her was a manifestation of, of his love for her. And her submission, uh, submissiveness to him was so perfect that... Because of, of her love for him. That there was no ill will. It was a perfect marriage. That's why when God, God said to them, he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, he says to them. He, he blesses them. He says to them, rule over the land. It was perfect. They became one flesh. And then what happened? Sin entered in. And Eve, if you remember, took the apple and ate the apple. Sin, Eve's sin was not just in disobeying God. 
You have to understand this. It was a perversion of the roles altogether. She acted independently of the husband. Who's ruling who who here? And she gives it to Adam. Adam, take this. Adam sinned not not only because he took the apple, it's because he failed to, to protect Eve. And since that time, sin enters in. What happens immediately after that? God comes looking for him and he says, what happened? What does Adam do? He immediately blames Eve. The woman that you put here, she, she gave it to me. What do they do? They immediately recognize they're naked. Why? Because now, there's imper- now they feel like maybe there's imperfections or, or whatever. There's, there's stuff to criticize. Sin enters in. The roles are reversed. And since that time, marriages have been failing all over the place. Blame sets in. Criticism sets in. We look for the wrong. Men don't know how to treat their wives lovingly. Women have trouble submitting and respecting their husbands. They don't understand the biblical principle because of sin enters in. So how do we do it? How do we get back to it? We go back to the scripture. Now I got to say, you say, well, there's no perfect marriage. I got to tell you, there's a lot of wonderful marriages. There's a couple here in our church who was here uh, at the first service who I know they've been married for 50 years and they love each other more now than they ever have. And I, every time you ask him how are things going, love my wife, he'll say. She'll say, I love my husband. We spend time together. We take walks together. We take vacations together. We are now, are, what, what's, what's next? We're just looking forward to our next vacation with each other. It's powerful. It's so exciting. Now, have they gone through bumps along the road? Oh, yeah. But they were with each other, so the bumps don't seem as bumpy. My wife and I, have a, I we have a wonderful marriage. I don't, I don't brag about it because God's at the center of it. It's how it was designed to be. We've had some tough times. But they don't seem as tough because we're here together. We go through them together. And that's what happens. Hear the biblical principles. We've got to get back to it. And you can have a wonderful marriage. Some of you are struggling with having a tough marriage right now. Maybe you're like John and Nancy. You go, you know, we're just too far gone. I can tell you right now, God can restore any marriage. And this passage right here, as tough as it is, as tough as it is to preach on, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. A lot of people don't want to preach on it. If we apply these principles in our marriage, it's wonderful. It's happy. It's joyful. So what do we do? Well, first, we talk to the wife, and then we talk to the husband. Now, this is the point where you say, yes, finally, someone's going to talk to my wife. All right, Jared, just really lay into her on this one. Just let her feel guilty because she's not respecting me and being submissive. Some wives are going, yes, finally, you're going to talk to my husband about how he can be a better husband. I've got to tell you, these apply to us personally. If you want to have a better marriage, it's not about what your spouse does. It's about what you do. I was just meeting with somebody this past week who... I said, listen, you can never control what your wife does. You only can control what you do. You only can control what you do and how you act in your marriage. You've got to trust God for the rest. So what do we do for the wife? Now, we stick to the scriptures with this one. We don't come, I don't come out here and I'm not going to say, here's uh, 45 things that change your marriage. I'm going right to the scriptures. For the wife, what does submission look like? First, the matter of submission. I want to encourage you, make sure you have your Bibles for this one. The matter of submission. What is the matter of submission? Why is it so confusing? Look at verse 22 if you have your service sheets there. It says, wives submit to your husbands. Okay? You have to understand, though, it's a carryover from verse 21. Some of your Bibles, it's italicized. Because it's a carryover from verse 21. 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. It's a mutual submission. 
Okay, wives submit to their husbands just as Christ submit to them. It's a mutual submission. Now you have to understand the word submit means to relinquish one's rights in a voluntary way. Relinquish one's rights in a voluntary way. That's the root word, the Greek word from the word uh, submit. It's not a slave. It's not a, a, a dictatorship. Husbands, I want you to hear that. Spouse is not a slave. Wives, we submit in a voluntary way. And my wife, after a number of um, we talking about this passage and getting some more teaching, she understood that. It wasn't about she was submitting to, to my dictatorship rule. She was submitting in a voluntary way. Now, here's the question. Some of you are asking yourselves right now, say, well, what if my husband's acting contrary to God's word? What if my husband isn't biblical? And I, I have to say right now, there is, no, there is no, nothing in Scripture that says that you should act contrary to God's word. You can't act contrary to God's word. We can't do it. You can't do it. You can't act contrary to God's word. So what do you do? Christ didn't act contrary. He didn't relinquish to the Pharisees. Paul didn't give himself into the Corinthian church or the other churches. He says we do not give in to them for the moment so that the truth of the gospel must remain. We must be biblical in everything that we do. So the question for the wives at this point is a little caveat. Is what do you do? What do you do when your husband isn't acting biblical? Well, let me tell you this. Peter addresses this. Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 3. For husbands who do not believe the word. He says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. By their behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Some wives are screaming at their husbands. Some wives do not respect their husbands because of how they're living. And here in the scriptures, we see that they can be won over by their behavior, their purity and reverence. We have to trust God for the rest. I've talked to many wives who are, who are struggling with that. My, my husband is acting contrary to God's word. I said, listen, screaming at him isn't going to help. But modeling it will and praying for him to act biblical will. And we've got to trust God. And husbands, this is for you. Listen to me. I have never had anybody in my office counseling who had the problem that they were leading too biblical. Nobody has ever come in going, we're having trouble. What's your trouble? Well, I'm leading spiritually. So where our marriage is a mess, it doesn't happen. I have a wonderful relationship if you're leading spiritually. Husbands, the emphasis is on you. Women, wives, for your husbands that don't believe in the word, you win them over purity and reverence in your own lives. And it's really about trust. We trust that God is in control. We trust, hey, God, change their hearts like you've changed other people's hearts, like you've changed the leader's hearts. Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is in the Lord as he directs it. The king's heart is in the Lord as he directs it. We pray, we trust that God will change their hearts. Anybody in authority over us. And we win them over. By our own purity and reverence. That's why Nancy DeMoss says submission is simply a demonstration of the confidence in the sovereign power of the Lord. So women, wives, do you trust God? Are you praying for your husbands? Are you praying for them to lead biblically? Lead spiritually? You, your household, are you praying for them? Number two, what's the manner of submission? What's the manner of submission? So we, we talked first about what, what, the, uh, what the, the matter of submission. So what's the manner of submission? As to the Lord. Verse 22. Look at verse 22. As to the Lord. It's about obedience. Everything we do is in obedience to the Lord. He is the one who designed marriage. 
He is the one who set this all up. He is the one who asks us to live a certain way. The manner of submission really is about obedience for him and how he set it up. Number three, what's the motive? What's the motive of submission? Look at verse 23. For the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Now this is a tough one. Follow me on this. Husbands and wives are to have mutual possessiveness and mutual submissiveness. Mutual possessiveness, mutual submissiveness. They belong to each other. They possess each other, but they're mutually submissive. What does that look like? Here's a great illustration. This is the one that I think really sums up a lot of this passage. I am so glad that God did not make us with two heads because our bodies would be a mess. Most of us can't even, our bodies don't even function with our, the one head that we have. Can you imagine with two heads? Well, let me ask you a question. What does a body look like when a mind responds, but a body does nothing? It's a crippled body. It's a crippled body. It's a paralyzed body. When the mind says to do something and the body does nothing, it's a paralyzed body. The opposite is true. What happens when a body is constantly moving, but the head says stop? It's a sporadic body. It's spastic. In both cases, spastic and crippled, there's dysfunction. If husbands and wives can't learn to work together, understanding they both have roles, they both have roles in the household and in the marriage, then there's going to be dysfunction everywhere. There's going to be dysfunction. Wives aren't any inferior to husbands as those people with like a gifts of teaching have the gifts of helps. There's no difference. They're both needed. And you've got to understand that, that both the head and the body are needed. That's key. That's key. Because it helps you understand, wives, that you're not inferior to husbands. And it helps you husbands understand that your wives are not inferior to you. You need each other. That's why when you look around, you know, I, I'm always amazed by these couples that you know, have, both have you know, huge careers. They're both highly intelligent, obviously very successful. But you go, man, their marriage is a mess. What's the deal there? Kids are all over the place. What's going on there? You would think these people would get it together. It's because they're not working together. Both acting independently of one another. That's the motive. Finally, what's the model? The model. Christ himself, verse 23. As Christ is the head of the church, so the, the body is of which he is the Savior. Now, the church submits to Christ, so often also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. The model is Christ. What did Christ do for us? He's our helper. He's our encourager. He comes alongside. Wives, are you, are you a helpmate to your, to your husbands? When God set it up in the first place, he looked at Adam and said, Adam, he needs a, he's a helpmate, needs a helper, needs an encourager. Wives, are you an encouragement to your husbands? Do you encourage them in their strengths and their weaknesses to lead biblically, to lead in general? Are you an encouragement to them? Do you encourage them? Do your kids see that? That yes, my, my mom encourages my dad. She encourages him to lead. She's a helpmate for him when he's having a bad day. Wives, are you an encouragement to your husbands? How are you doing with that? Are you praying for your husband's wives? Praying for them to lead spiritually? I tell you what, husbands, if you lead spiritually... Issues in your marriage seem to kind of fall away. So that's the wife. Now we turn to the husband. 
Wives are going, yes, finally. For the husband, what does loving your wife look like? Again, we go right back to the scriptures. Loving your wife first is sacrificial. Look at verse 25. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I said many weeks ago that if I ever wrote a book, uh, that I would just, it would be, it would be called The Marriage Fix and have one, one chapter, one verse, one line that says, Stop being so selfish. The end. I want to thank my wife for, uh, this, uh, for uh, the inspiration for this book. Stop being so selfish. That's the key. I can't tell you how many couples I just want to say, Stop being so selfish. It's not about you. Stop being so selfish. Christ gave himself up for us, not because we deserved it. Can you imagine if Christ only loved us uh, because of how we looked? (laughs) There would be very few of us. Or if Christ only loved the people that did something for him. Very few people to love. Husbands get to this point where they love their wives because they're, they're attractive, which is good. They love their wives because of how they make they feel. But what happens over time, some of the attraction kind of loses it, huh? Kind of diminishes a little bit. And then they kind of, what they call, fall out of love. I remember counseling a young, it's tragic. Uh, I've learned my lesson. It was one of the, one of the first people I, uh, marriages I ever did, and I should have caught it, and now I do. I was sitting there, and I remember the guy saying to the girl, um, or saying to me, he's like, what happens when I, when I fall out of love with her? And I should have caught it. Because he was waiting for that time that he was going to fall out of love with his spouse, with his wife. Nine months later, they were divorced. Didn't take long. Some people, it takes longer. Because they have this mindset, when I fall out of love, when she doesn't uh, do what I need her to do, or she isn't uh, the person I need her to be, when she's not attractive enough, when she isn't uh, as intimate as I want to be, as often as she is, or she's not encouraging, when I fall out of love, that's it. Christ did not, does not love us because of what we've done. He does it sacrificially. He washed the disciples' feet, not because they deserved it, because he loved them. Husbands, are you sacrificial for your wives? Are you sacrificial? Are you putting her needs above yours? Are you putting her needs above yours? Any husband who does that, who says, you know what, I'm going to be sacrificial, I'm going to put your needs before mine. When you come home from work, you had a bad day, instead of unloading on your wife all the bad things that happened, all the things you'd hope would happen tonight, do you come home and say, you know what, as much as I want to um, complain about my day, I want to know what my wife needs tonight. That's sacrifice. That's saying, you know what, as tired as I am, I'm going to do this extra chore that my wife needs. I'm going to take care of the kids. I'm going to put them to bed. Even though I'm tired, even though I want to go, I want to do this. Even though I want to go out with my friends tonight, that's sacrifice. Are you sacrificial? Are you sacrificial? Number two, what does love look like? Love, loving your wife is purifying. Look at verse 26. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Loving a wife is purifying. Like Christ leads the church. What does that look like? If Christ is really the head of our church, which he is, he's not going to lead us into corruption, is he? He's not going to lead us down the wrong path. Loving your wife is purifying. We don't allow our families, men, to go down the wrong path. We don't allow corruption to set in. That's exactly what Adam failed to do. 
Adam didn't intervene when Eve was going for the apple. Adam didn't do that. A lot of husbands, are their attitudes, their behaviors, the hobbies they have, the actions they do, are leading their family astray. It's not only for them, it's also for their wives. Let me give you an example. Uh, a husband who says, you know what, I'm going to go maybe flirt a little bit with this woman I know. It's not only corrupt for him, it's corrupt for the wife, because now the wife feels, listen, the husband must not love me. Maybe it's my looks. Maybe it's something else. Maybe I'm not doing something for them. Maybe I need to go find some love somewhere else. Or the husband who says, you know what? I'm going to spend the money how I want to spend it. I'm going to go on these trips, fun trips. I'm going to hang out with my friends, and I'm going to put that first above my wife. What does that do for the family? What does it do for the wife? It corrupts them as well because they feel like, you know what? Now I'm not loved. They must not want to spend time with me. They don't care for me. So you're not only corrupting yourself, you're corrupting your wife. So how are you doing, husbands? Is your love for your wife purifying? Do you seek to lead biblically? Are you pointing them towards Christ or away from Christ? When tough time comes, are you the one who says, listen, let's pray about this. Let's seek God's direction. I don't have an answer. Let's pray about it. Are you the one saying, hey, let's read the scriptures together? Are you encouraging your family to do the same? Do your kids see you as leading them towards Christ? Loving the husband is purifying. Thirdly, loving your wife is also caring. Look at verse 28. is isn't listed there. We stopped at 27, but look at 28. It's going to come up. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Love your wives as your own bodies, it says in verse 28. We care for our bodies. We protect them. We care for them. We do what they need. We feed. We nourish our bodies. We love our bodies. We want to love our wives the same way. I've know, there's some, I know a, a wonderful couple who's been married for 40 years. And they haven't gotten divorced. Living together. He protects her. But there doesn't seem to be much caring going on. Like when you see them, it's like they just are like business partners. that are like in it to the end. Till death do us part. I hope death comes soon so we can part sooner. They're in it for the long run. But there's no caring. And the way he speaks to her. The way he treats her. The way he says to her. I go, man. That doesn't seem very caring. Are you caring? Do you care for your wife? Do you provide for her? Do you encourage her? Encourage her in her weaknesses. Encourage her in her strengths. Do you come alongside? Do you write her notes, let her know how beautiful she is, even though age has kind of caught up with her? Do you let her know how beautiful she looks in the dress, even though she's not asking? Do you let her know those things? Do you let her know what you appreciate about her? There's probably a lot of things to be critical about, but do you, do you, do you tell her what you're happy about? What, what things that she does that brings you joy, brings you happiness? Do you care for your wives? Do you care for your wives? Finally, not only is love purifying and sacrificial and caring, love is unbreakable. Verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Pastor Jamie's going to talk a little bit more about this next week. It's not only about being married, it's about staying married. It's about staying married. A lot of folks will come to the mindset as that one couple that, who said, when I fall out of love, have this idea that, well, if it doesn't work out, I can get a divorce. They have the way out. They have that mindset that, well, if this isn't good, I can just leave. John Nancy Leach had that. If it wasn't good, we're just going to leave. If you have the mindset of the way out, you're always going to be looking for the way out. If you have the mindset it's unbreakable, then you're always going to look for the ways to keep it unbreakable. So you've you got to go in the mindset and say, listen, if divorce is on your mind saying, well, I can always get a divorce, you've got to wipe that out of your mind. You've got to be able to say, you know what, good times and bad, 
I'm sticking, I'm sticking by it. I'm sticking to this marriage. Good times and in bad. Because Christ stuck with us. Good times and in bad. John Piper gave a, a great quote that's probably hurtful for many of us because it's really in her face. It says, if the ultimate meaning of marriage is to resent the unbreakable covenant love between Christ and his church, then no human being has the right to break a marriage covenant. When the impossible day comes, he says, that Christ breaks his vow, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then on that day, a human may break his marriage covenant. Good times and in bad. We never said it was going to be easy. Christ never said marriage is easy. But what he did say is that marriages can be awesome and joyful. As the music team comes and closes us to play here in a minute, we're going to, we're going to sing our closing song. But one of my, my prayers for us as a church, one of my prayers for us as a church is that people look at our church and go, man, you know what? They have some powerful, strong marriages there at Christ Church. So for the men, how are you doing when it comes to loving your wife? Is it a sacrificial love? Is it a purifying love? Is it a caring love? Is it an unbreakable? Women, I ask you the same thing. How are you doing when it comes to your husband? Are you encouraging them? Are you caring for them? Do you have the mindset that it's unbreakable? We'll get through it. There's redemption for those marriages. Some of you might have to leave this place and before you even get to some of these principles, you may say, you know what, I, I, my marriage needs to be fixed, but it might come with an apology first. You might have to get in the car or have a conversation later and say, you know what, honey, husband, wife, I, I admit I haven't been that good at being a husband or being a wife, but I want to make it happen. So I ask you to forgive me. I've asked Christ to forgive me as well. I want to apply these principles. I need your encouragement. Because we can do it. Because we can have wonderful, happy, joyful marriages. Because people have them. And God's at the center of them. And that's how he designed them in the first place. The closer we grow to God, the closer we grow to our spouses. That's why C.S. Lewis says, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the fact that you can redeem marriages, that you can fix them. So, Father, I pray that you be with each and every marriage in this room, maybe who's struggling. Help them to impress it upon them that you can fix that marriage, Father. They can have a wonderful, joyful marriage, no matter what stressors are going on. Help them to get back to the roots of marriage, the way you designed it. Father, I pray that you be with them as they have conversations later about how to fix it. Help them to be open and honest, forgiving each other. And Father, help them to be an encouragement to one another to apply these principles. Father, thank you for the fact that we can have wonderful, joyful marriages and in turn have wonderful, joyful families. Thanks for what you teach us in your word. I pray that we aren't just hearers of it, we will be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.